morning, everybody. Uh, this is the last week that Pastor Aaron has to sit here and suffer while somebody else preaches. Pain, yeah. Because he's going to be gone in Israel for the next two weeks, so he doesn't have to just sit here anymore. He gets to <laughs> uh, go be in the Holy Land, which is pretty amazing. I think we had, what, 35 people going on the Israel trip. That's pretty amazing. So that's going to be an, an incredible time. They'll be there on Palm Sunday in the Holy Land, which I can't imagine is anything but just a really cool experiment, experience. But just want to, again, say, while you're sitting here, say thank you uh, for giving me some pulpit time this year. I do appreciate it. And uh, Cousin John, we're in week three. We're about halfway through, uh, and it's just been a, a joy as we've looked through John's life so far uh, his message, what he stood for, what he believed. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to get deeper into his life and really his theology uh, about living a life of significance. But we'll get to that. And we're actually going to be in the text where our anchor verse is found. And so our anchor verse for this series is John chapter 3, verse 30, which says this, He must become greater, and I must become Less And again, my prayer is that that would not only be the cry of John's heart, but the cry of our own, so that it would be more of him and less of me. Uh, but before we get into our text today, which is John chapter 3, let's have a word of prayer and ask for God's blessing on our time together today. Father, I thank you and I praise you because you are a great and an awesome God. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in line with yours this morning. Lord, that we would have the heart of John the Baptist in his humility to, to sing out these words proudly, less of me and more of you. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that even as I am on stage with bright lights beaming down on me, Lord, that the, that the real lights, that all of the attention would be fixed upon your son, Jesus. Lord, that there would even now be less of me and more of Christ. Lord, help me this morning to handle the sword of the Spirit well in a way that does not harm, but in a way that does surgery on our hearts as we look at your word. And Lord, I ask that you would invade this space, that you would be amongst us. And Lord, we know that you are always present everywhere, but Lord, this morning, help our hearts to believe that you are here. Help our hearts to believe, not just our minds to understand, that you are present with us, that you inhabit, you live amongst the praises of your people. So Lord, we ask that you would bless our time this morning, that you would be amongst us, Lord, that you would protect us from any opinions that are outside of your word. And Lord, I pray that the name of your son Jesus would be preeminent, high and exalted in this place this morning. These things we play, pray in the most beautiful name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's read our passage together. John chapter 3, we're going to be in verses 22 through 36. <clears throat> After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them, baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, 
he is baptizing, and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. Yet whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God, sent ha, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Church, this is God's word. Yeah, as I read that passage, you know, I'm a music guy, and so I started thinking about different songs that... uh, just came to mind as I was studying this passage this week, and, and I want to see if anybody in here recognizes some of these songs that I have. So let, let's hear the first one. I don't, is this on my playlist? There we go. All right. Do we, re, do we recognize that song? Yeah. Let, let's fade it out here for a second. Can anybody tell me the name of the musician that wrote that? Chumbawamba. <laughs> Y'all never would have guessed it, though. Let's, let's hear the next one. You guys recognize this one? Yeah, okay. Let's, let's fade it out. Who wrote that song? No. <laughs> Closer to the first one, though. No, that was uh, Melt With You by Modern English. Can we hear the next one? Yeah. Anybody recognize this one? It's from the 70s, right? Anybody know the name of the song? Brandy, thank you, but who wrote it? Looking Glass. See, all on this playlist is a bunch of one-hit wonders. And you look, I looked on Spotify last night as I was just thinking about these songs, and uh, like Brandy has like 300 million listens, and their next most popular song has like less than 1 million listens. It's like they, they boomed and then they busted. And so while I was reading this text and thinking about the life of John the Baptist, what we are seeing here is really John's fall from the stars, right? Uh, there is this massive boom in Israel that everybody in Judea and along the Galilean countryside and everybody in Jerusalem is going out to John as he is preaching this message of repentance and they're being baptized by him and they're, being, uh, they're repenting of their sin, they're turning back to God and he has this huge booming ministry and then we get to John chapter 3 and it's just bust. 
Like it's, it's just not going on anymore. Uh, and, and so there are these one-hit wonders in our world where we see it in sports and we hear it in music where we have these people who come up onto the scene and they have one hit and then you never hear from them again. And most of you don't even know the names of the people that wrote these songs. And this is where John finds himself. After his national revival, he is fading away into obscurity, right? He's losing his platform to Jesus. The floodgates of revival have turned into just a mere trickle. And everyone, notice that in the text, in in verse 26, it says, all are going to him. Everybody was leaving John. And his disciples, they take an issue with that, which, you know, we don't know what they were talking about with the Jew over purification, likely something about baptism, likely began talking about Jesus, which is what begins to stir up this tension in the disciples' hearts, the disciples of John, who say, uh, Jesus is taking everybody. We're losing everybody. Nobody's following you anymore, John. Like what was once a national revival where we didn't even have enough water to baptize everybody. So we moved to this new place that had all this water. And now it's like, it's like we have this big, massive cathedral and an empty church. It's like we, we built this beautiful thing and now it's empty. It's gone. His disciples take issue of that. They, they seem jealous over Jesus' success. There, you kind of get this sense of desperation as well. Uh, but above anything else, I would suggest to you that what the disciples of John are experiencing in this passage, the reason that they approach their rabbi and point out the success of Christ is because their sense of importance was slipping away, that their lives mattered, that they had significance. All of it is being stripped away because they're losing their platform to Jesus. And, and what was true for them is true for you as well. And their desire is not wrong. And, and in fact, I think it's a gift from God uh, is that we desire purpose. Point number one, you have a natural need to matter. Everybody in this room wants to be significant. Everybody in this room wants to have a life that matters. Right? This is the difference that you see between somebody who maybe runs a nonprofit and helps people for a living or goes into Africa to bring people that have no clean water and dig wells for them and give them purification systems. It's the reason that their joy is unmatched compared to the McDonald's worker. It's because uh, uh, somebody who works in fast food or these labors day to day, they can oftentimes feel like their life isn't significant. I would suggest to you that that's not true. Their lives can be significant. But we see this stark difference between people who do things with their lives that truly help people, that truly make a difference, and people who just kind of work the nine to five and they check out. Is a lot of these people who do that go home with this feeling of, of depression, of insignificance, like, does my life even matter? And when John sees and his disciples begin to see everyone, including John's own disciples. If you look back in John chapter 1 and we see uh, Jesus bringing about the first disciples to himself, the first one that's talked about in the Gospel of John, Andrew. And Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist. So their own friends, the disciples of John, they're even leaving to Jesus. 
And, and so everybody's going to Jesus. Nobody's sticking with John. There's a few people left getting baptized, but the floodgates of national revival have, have dwindled to a trickle. And their sense of importance of their life mattering begins to feel threatened, and they begin to push this feeling onto John. Right, there's there's statement here where it says uh, they they asked or they said to John, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness. Look, it, it's almost got this like sense of desperation in their cry. It's as if they're saying, everyone is leaving you. Everyone is forsaking John the Baptist to follow this other guy who you baptized. It, it's almost as if they're saying. What are you going to do about it? You're fading into the shadows. Your life is becoming insignificant, and we're being dragged down with you. We've been faithful to you, and our church is dying. Our ministry seems like it's coming to an end. We're fading into irrelevancy, John. Aren't you going to do something? And what John does for his disciples and for us in verses 27 through 30 is extremely kind. Because he begins to reshape our understanding of what a significant life is in light of who Jesus is. Because the world has standards for what makes a significant life, don't they? If you're in the business world, it's, it's that you make it to the top of your company. That the company continues to grow and you find new revenue streams. For the actor, uh, the mark of significance is that you win an an Oscar or an Emmy, or, or you get your name printed on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. For any athlete, the, the dream, the goal to make sure that your life is significant is to make it into Canton, into the Hall of Fame, to be that guy or that girl. But unlike his disciples, John, who had brought a nation to its knees in repentance, in verses 27 through 30, embraces his new role of obscurity, of decrease. And in fact, after this interaction, at least in the Gospel of John, uh, we never hear from John the Baptist ever again. He doesn't come up. We don't see him. This is like, this is his final act in the Gospel of John, is saying, hey, this is the way it needs to be. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I think it's because John understands something that his disciples don't, is that prominence does not equal importance. Just because people know your name, or you have a lot of influence in people's lives, does not equal importance. There's lots of people in our world today with massive platforms, with a massive reach to people, and nothing to say. Very little to say of value. I mean, athletes, YouTubers, politicians, lots of people like this have incredible reach into the crowds, and they have very, very little to say. And if you play your cards right, you can live a far more significant life than them working at Safeway or at McDonald's or being a stay-at-home mom or dad 
or simply by being a good husband or a good wife. You can live a far more significant life in what you might see as a role of mediocrity or meniality. You, you may see these roles as something small and unimportant, but if you play your cards right, then you can live a far more important, significant life that matters than many people with huge platforms. And I want you to notice this. This is what John thinks of himself in verse 29. He says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. And therefore, this joy of mine is complete. And so what John says here is he he begins to talk about uh, what a Jewish wedding was like. And unlike our day, uh, the the person of the day at any wedding was the bridegroom. It it really wasn't the bride. Uh, It was really a celebration for the bridegroom. He is starting his family like he is coming into union with this bride that he has purchased for himself, that he has built a home for. And so uh, John equates, he almost tells like a little parable here. It's a, it's a metaphor that uh, the bride is the people. The bridegroom is Jesus, and John is just the friend. He's just the friend. And this is where he's been at this whole time. He's been saying, after me comes he who is greater than I. I'm just the voice. The Messiah comes. When people approach him and say, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? He says, I'm just the voice. And when he sees Jesus, he declares in John chapter 1, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John says, I'm just the friend of the bridegroom. And now, that doesn't mean he's insignificant because it's his job to announce that the groom is coming. It's his job uh, to prepare the way of the groom, to announce that the wedding is about to happen, to invite all of the townspeople in the countryside and, and to run to the home of the bride and to announce your bridegroom is coming. It was his job to make this wedding the best wedding of all time. But what he says here is, I'm, a, I'm the friend of the bridegroom, but it's not my day, and it's not my bride. John is saying, it's not that I'm not significant. It's not that my life doesn't matter. I'm just not the point, right? I'm, I'm not the sun around which the universe revolves. It's not that I'm insignificant. I'm just not the point. Or if I can bring it up to 21st century. Ladies, what's the one color you're not allowed to wear to a wedding? White. Why? Because it's her day. Now, first century Jews, it was the, it was the groom's day. But 21st century America, it's the bride's day. It's her day. She gets to wear white. So in a sea of of yellows and blues and grays and tans and and pastels, there is one white dress that sticks out among the crowd. 
And when she walks down the aisle, everybody stands and turns to her. Because why? Because it's her day. And so what John is essentially saying here is, I'm not going to wear white to the wedding. It's not my day. I'm not the point. He's the point. So what a fool I would be to wear white to the wedding. See, here's the reality This is something John understood, something you and I need to understand, is that you are in a supporting role to Jesus. A lot of times we get that backwards. That this is the danger of the prosperity gospel. Jesus becomes a support to you. It's about you. So much of of Christian corners in our world today, Jesus is about you. The gospel is about you. No, it's about him. Are you kidding me? He's the bridegroom. He gets to wear white to the wedding. You are just the friend. It's not that you're insignificant. It's just that you're not the point. If you are a Christian, listen to me, you are not the sun. The planets do not revolve around you. You are not the star of the show. You are not the quarterback. You are not the bridegroom. You are the friend. You are the support. For you sports people, you're the left tackle. Anybody see the Blindside movie? Right, yeah, a lot of you only know what a left tackle is because of that movie. (laughs) And there's a reason for that. It's because quarterbacks get all the fame. They're the ones that drop back in the pocket. They make decisions. They throw the ball with accuracy most of the time hopefully i know a lot of you broncos fans didn't experience a lot of that this year (laughs) sorry sorry i repent um but in the blind side it's a true story about this kid that grew up in the projects really rough neighborhood and they get gets adopted by this family and they he starts to play football and his job is, is to be the left tackle. And at the beginning of the movie, uh, Sandra Bullock, who plays the mom, uh, she is explaining uh, why the left tackle is so important. It's because back in the 90s, uh, there was a big, mean man named Lawrence Taylor. And he came around the edge on Joe Theismann's blind side where he couldn't see, tackled him and snapped his leg in half, and he never played another down of football. And she goes on to explain, this is why the left tackle is the second highest paid player on the team. Now, you and I, we might know names like, let's say, uh, no, I'm not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> let, let's just say J- Joe Montana. We know who Joe Montana is. We know who Brett Favre is, Aaron Rodgers, all these great quarterbacks. We know their names, but I can take a guess that you don't know who their left tackle was. And yet the left tackle made it available for the pocket to be clean so the quarterback could drop back and make his decision and make his throw and throw the touchdown. But it was because the left tackle was there supporting the quarterback, protecting the quarterback, that the quarterback could do his job and get the glory. It's not that you are insignificant. You're just not the point. And so the mission of the Christian then is really to just get out of the way so that people can see Jesus because of you. Your your job, our job, our mission 
like John's, he must increase, I must decrease. He's the bridegroom, I'm just the friend. The point is, is that we need to get out of the way so that Jesus can be seen. Because imagine if this story took a different turn. What if John the Baptist heard the concern of his disciples and said, you're right, we need to do something about this. Well, then the story isn't about the preeminence of Jesus. It's about the selfishness in our own hearts to think that we're the answer to the world's problems. It becomes a story about the tension between John's ministry and Jesus' ministry. But John knew his place. And I want to suggest to you that all of us need to know our place. John knew who he was, and we need to know who we are. People will only be able to see Jesus because of you if you know who you are in light of who Jesus is. Like, like John's disciples, a lot of people in this room even may think that they need a bigger platform to have a significant life, but what you really need is humility. You don't need a bigger platform. You need humility. Humility to see yourself rightly. Jesus is the Savior, not you. We need to see ourselves rightly. And, and in verses 31 through 26, as uh, John, the author, wraps up this passage, uh, those verses are not the words of John uh, the Baptist, those are the words of John, the author. And he really begins to give us some concrete ideas and reasons why John the Baptist is overjoyed to decrease, which is not something most of us are okay with. I don't, I don't know about you. I'm not, I don't want our church to decrease. I don't want it to get smaller. I get it. I get the concern of the disciples. But uh, what John, the author, says in verses 31 through 26 is credible, concrete reasons that John is overjoyed that Jesus is being made much of and he is fading into the shadows. It's because Jesus is not only greater than John, but he's greater than you. In fact, the word he uses is supreme. Jesus is supreme above all of us. Compared to Christ, you and I can do relatively nothing in the spheres in which we live. And this is what he says, that first of all, Jesus is from above heaven, so he is above all, supreme. A little play on words there. He's from above, he's from heaven, and so he is above. He is supreme above us all. And so let me go through the checklist with you of why we should be pointing people to Jesus and not ourselves. He comes from heaven. Do you? He is an eye and ear witness of the things of heaven. Are you? He speaks the very words of God. He doesn't repeat the words of God. He doesn't tell people about the words of God. He speaks the very words of God because he is God. So can you do that? He gives, dispenses the spirit without measure. Can you? He has been given all authority by the Father who loves him. Have you been given all authority? Jesus is able to save from God's wrath towards sin and bring salvation 
can you? Now, if your answer to any of those questions was yes, then we have to have a talk after church. But I'm guessing that we all answered no to those questions. See, the whole point is that Jesus is supreme. He is preeminent. He is above all and in all and through all. He holds all things together by the word of his power. Jesus is greater than you. He is the point. Jesus can give what only you have the ability to talk about. We can talk about the spirit, but God gives it. We can talk about heaven, but Jesus is from there, and he's an eye and ear witness of it. He can alone has the keys to salvation and has put death in its grave. What we can only talk about, Jesus can actually give. He dispenses the spirit of God who helps us and resurrects us and seals us and convicts us and encourages us and heals us and reveals the word of God to us with boundless generosity. He is the eternal firsthand witness of the things of heaven that we can't even comprehend. He alone offers life and life eternally and life abundantly. We relay the words of God, but he is the word of God. See, what we find in this passage is that John knew he couldn't do much for people, but he knew that Jesus could. And how foolish would John be? How foolish would we be to be so prideful and arrogant to think that we are the answer to the problems in the world when God has sent his son? We don't need a bigger platform. We need humility. Because at the end of the day, anything you can do, Christ can do better. Anything you can do, Christ can do better. He just can. See, church, where, where you can only offer table scraps, Jesus can prepare a feast. Christ can do abundantly more for your marriage, for your children, for your friends, for your co-workers. He can do far more abundantly through you than you can do on your own. So why on earth would we spend our lives making much of ourselves when we could be making much of Jesus, who can actually save, who can actually heal, who can actually give the Spirit of God with boundless generosity. See, church, what I want to suggest to you this morning is that the most significant thing that you can do with your life is make much of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, man, you might find yourself broke and jobless this morning, and you can still have a life of great significance if you make much of Jesus. And you can be the CEO of a company and live an insignificant life because you made much of yourself and not Christ with the platform that you have. This is true significance. It's not fame. It's not wealth. It's not clout. It is getting out of the way for Jesus. That is a life 
of significance. And I want to briefly touch on three areas where I think this applies for you and for me. The first place, and I think the most important place, where you do have authority, where you do have a heavy word that lands, is in your home. And specifically, in your marriage and in your kids. What would it look like for you and I to get out of the way so that Jesus could be made much of in your marriage? Your, your first ministry. of The very picture of Christ and his church. What would it look like for you and I to get out of the way? Now, I can only speak for the ladies based on what Scripture says, which Scripture says, wives, submit to your husbands as Christ, as the church submits to Christ. It's really, it's really the holistic marriage approach based on Ephesians chapter 5. But in that same passage, and I'll speak to you husbands for a moment, it says to love your wives like Christ loved the church. So let's talk about that for a second. What does it actually mean to love your wife as Christ loved the church. This is what it looks like to get out of the way for Jesus, okay? When I think about the way that Jesus loved me, I can't help but feel like the most important person in the world because the Son of God laid down his life for me. He protected me. He brought me into a new family. He has shown me the will of God, and he has shown me his word. And so, husbands, if I can boil it down for you, your job, to if you want to make much of Jesus in your marriage, then your job is to make your wife feel like the most important person on the face of the earth by the way that you love her and protect her, the way that you provide, the way that you sacrifice, because how did Jesus love the church? He laid down his life, that's sacrifice. And when's the last time, if you have kids, husbands, you came home from work and said, honey, I got the kids. Go read your Bible. Go pray. Go take time for yourself. I got this. Instead of kicking your feet up on the couch and watching TV. See, that's to, to come home and, and to be served only when you are supposed to be the first servant in your home. That, that's backwards for a Christian. And, and it's, frankly, it's unacceptable. Husbands, we need to stand up and be the first servants in our home. That is how we make much of Jesus. And with your children, what would it look like instead of not coming to church for, you know, I'm going to say this the second service more poignantly. But what would it look like if instead of saying we're skipping church because the Broncos play at 11, what would it look like to your children if you said instead, hey, we're going to the 8 a.m. service? Not, I'm not saying don't enjoy the things that you enjoy. I'm saying show your children that Jesus is the priority. What would it look like instead of when your child comes to you for advice and speaking out of your own wisdom and experience for you to give them the mighty word of God, the sword of the spirit. And instead of gossiping about school around the table 
to pray for one another, to talk about the things going on in your lives, and to disciple intentionally your children. Because guess what, parents? Somebody's discipling your kids. Netflix is discipling your kids. The schools are discipling your kids. We need to take a stand to make much of Jesus in our homes because they go to school for eight hours and they get nothing but nonsense. Now, these are just a few things. It's something that you have to consider for yourself, but there is always decrease to be had. So how can you decrease in your home, in your marriage, with your kids, with your grandkids? How can you decrease so that Christ can be made much of? The second area, and I'll just briefly touch on this, is your friendships. And, and all of us, if you're a Christian, we've got two kinds of friendships. We have friendships with believers, and we have friendships with non-believers. Now, for the believers, this is a really easy answer. How do we make much of Jesus? Is we talk about him. We worship him together as friends in the body. We get together and we gather and we talk about what Jesus is doing in our lives. We encourage one another in the word. If you want more instructions on that, read Ephesians chapter 4. It talks about how we ought to interact with each other as a church. But with your non-Christian friends, gosh, what good is it if we have a bunch of people around us that we love and we cherish and we're hanging out with them and talk of the gospel never arises because we don't want to make it uncomfortable. Gosh, we laugh with our unsaved friends and we cherish these moments together, but really we're just enjoying the Titanic until it sinks because these are people who are lost and they need Jesus. How selfish can we be to make our friendships with our non-saved friends and family to be about us and our enjoyment and not about the glory of God and the gospel? Your friendships with your non-Christian friends should be missional at heart. We don't want to just rearrange the furniture on the deck of the Titanic. We want, we want to save it. We want to bring them to Jesus or else we're not being very good friends. To make much of Jesus in your friendships is to be a good friend, to, to be there when you are needed in a moment of trial and distress for your Christian friends and your non-Christian friends. That's what it looks like to make much of Jesus is to be that friend that sticks closer than a brother. the last thing that we need to briefly touch on is the sphere of your workplace. We've talked about your home, your friendships, but what about your workplace where you log in hours? The first thing I would tell you is that one of the jobs of the Christian is to work as unto the Lord. This will make much of Jesus in your workplace because when everybody else is slacking off when the boss isn't looking, you're not working for that guy. You're working for the Lord, right? So when you go to work and all of your buddies are slacking off and you're still hard at work, gosh, maybe that leads to a great conversation about why you're working so hard. Why you haven't taken your foot off the gas when the boss isn't around? Well, it's because I don't work for him. I work for the Lord. To evangelize your coworkers, to give God glory for your success, 
And here's something that the world is incapable of doing. It is to be content when you get dealt a bad hand at work. To be joyful in the menial tasks that you have to do. Because again, you don't work for your boss. You're working as unto the Lord. But of course, all of your situations are, are different. They're all different. So you need to figure out what it means to decrease so that you can live a life of significance in your home and in your friendships and in your workplace. And those are just a few areas and there's more. But G let me remind you this morning as we move away from our text and into our final time of, of giving and worship together is that the most significant thing that you can do with your life is make Jesus great. But for Jesus to become great, you must become very, very small. Not thinking about you, what you want to do or the things that pleasure you or make you happy. Because ultimately, your greatest joy will be found when you make much of Jesus. It is the most significant, most important thing you will ever do with your life. To become so small in your spheres of influence that Jesus becomes so great. Church, your highest purpose is to make much of Jesus. Your highest purpose is to make much of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for John. Lord, for the determination in his own heart, even when people pushed a bigger platform on, on him, wanted him to pursue being great in his own eyes, Lord, that he had humility, that he knew he didn't need a bigger platform to be significant or live a life of purpose, a life that mattered, but rather that he found his importance and his significance in life by making much of Jesus. Lord, only what's done for Christ will last. And we thank you for that. Lord, help us to have more of a spirit like John's, one of humility and not pride or arrogance or greed or selfishness, but one that lays down our own lives, becomes smaller and smaller so that Christ could be made great. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we pray that this would happen in our own hearts. In Jesus' beautiful name we pray, amen. Well, thank you, Pastor Jesse, for that good word. And today, as we take those next steps, uh, really it's not asking more of us, but uh, asking less. Now you take out your connect connection card and consider those uh, next steps, how we're going to follow Jesus, how we're going to really live out this, uh, this uh, incredible uh, challenge that uh, to not do more, but to actually let God be more in our lives. Uh, there's some things we want to challenge you to do. And the first one that you can see on there is to decrease in your own mind. That's to choose to think about yourself less, to start be thinking about God and what he wants in our life. And maybe that's the first place we begin to start because where we set our heart and our mind, that's kind of where we go. And next to that, as Pastor Jesse talked about, maybe for you, your conviction is to home, I'll let God be first, uh, Christ be first there. And maybe then uh, beyond that is to decrease in your friendships. Maybe that's what really the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Uh, making God first in those really important relationships. 
Another one that we have there is to decrease in your workplace, to let your place where you work be that missional field. Let God be, have his way there first. And of course, if there's something else that the Holy Spirit is, is challenging you to do, or you feel the prompt, you know, listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, follow him. And, let, and if you wouldn't mind, write that down for us. Let us know how God is prompting you to move ahead. So as our pastors and as we support you, we want to be praying for you and, and care for you as you follow after Christ in this. Uh, it's an amazing call. And so just a few moments as you take those commitments, I want you to take those, put your prayer requests on those as well. We're going to take our offering, and I encourage you, take these commitments and drop them in the offering basket. I'm sure appreciate everybody to do that. Let us know what you're doing and take those that first step of decreasing and let God become greater in your life. So it's an amazing way to live. And, of course, as you do that, as we take our offering, of course, we're taking our special uh, offering for our Mexico mission team as well today. And so... Uh, as you do that, we have offering envelopes that are there, and you can write on there what you're giving to the Mexico team. I think we have a goal of uh, 7000 I think we've already raised 3000 of it already, so yay you guys and yay God. It's amazing, but we want to make sure that we're sending them, so you can put that in the offering envelope and just mark on there how much you'd like to dedicate to the Mexico missions team. Uh, that would be awesome, and I think we even have a picture. Do we have a picture of all the people that are on that? Hey, there you go. If you say, who will we be supporting and where will we be going? We have the two teams, the construction team uh, there on, on the left-hand side, and then there's more people on the right. Uh, but this is uh, who we'll be supporting. And don't just offer uh, finances, but also we encourage you to continue to pray for them as they go down there, that God prepares in advance the work they're going to do, prepares the hearts of those that they're going to be serving. Uh, so that it's not about us, but it's about Jesus. All right. So let's pray as we make our commitments and, and consider how God wants us to follow after him this week as well as how he wants to support him uh, with our tithes and offerings. So let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you that you are preeminent, that you truly are supreme. It's uh, amazing to know that we have one whom is so worthy of our life and our actions that we can decrease, uh, that, you, that you truly are good. But in that, Lord, that you've given us significance, that every uh, sacrifice, every service, everything that we do for you matters for your kingdom. So, Father, we want to give you our best. We want to give you our all. So this morning we pray for an increase of faithfulness as you allow us to decrease in our self-importance. May you become more important in us and through us that the world would see you. So take these tithes, these offerings, these gifts, as well as our commitments. Use them to build your kingdom in our hearts and our lives in this church and also in this community and beyond. We pray that in the beautiful name of our Savior Jesus.